0: Heavenly Father, thank you for your written word which always points us to the Lord Jesus. We pray for Fiona now that you would give to her all the strength she needs to share with us the things you've laid on her heart for us to hear from you as to how we might be more changed into your likeness today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, morning. so the Transfiguration as we call this passage and we've heard from the Bible this morning um, a record of the event in Matthew and an eyewitness account later in Peter and as Sue said we probably know this event quite well, one we've heard on many occasions And one commentator that I was reading noted that this is a story that we both love, but also that we don't know what to do with because it's mysterious. Beyond our everyday experience, it's difficult to understand. I remember this event so very well from hearing it in church in my childhood. It was one that stuck in my mind because of the images it invoked in my imagination. The best way I can describe it is through adverts. Bear with me. A mixture of the pure white of Purcell persil washing powder. Do you remember, whiter than white? (laughs) Alongside the really unusual Ready Breck glow. Of course, that doesn't do it justice, but we naturally try to connect things with our everyday to help us understand. But, actually, this event is truly mysterious. To set the scene a little, in chapter 16, just prior to this, we have read of the Pharisees questioning who Jesus was, and a discussion with the disciples, where Jesus asks them, who do the people say I am? And also, who do you say I am? And this is when Peter declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So as we go into chapter 17, it felt to me a little like God is rather irritated. All this questioning, all this testing, when will they get that this is my son? It's as if God decides to show them again, this is who I am. Let's look at the passage in a little more detail. Verse 1. After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Mountaintop experiences are a repeated occurrence within the Bible. Although the passage here refers to an actual mountaintop, such experiences can occur in our lives too. Tom Wright describes it as a heaven and earth moment. And you hear people describe it in different ways. Some people call it a thin place where heaven touches earth. I don't know if you've ever sensed that feeling. A place or situation where you really connect with God. That might be right here in church as we sing or during communion or prayer, or it may be elsewhere on a mountaintop or a wide skied beach. Now, various historians and theologians have tried to work out where this mountain was that they had climbed. But actually, the location isn't really important. It's the mountaintop that's important. Because we've met God on mountaintops before, through the pages of the Bible. Moses, as he climbed Mount Sinai to meet with God to receive the Ten Commandments, And the comparison continues. The two events really mirror each other. In Exodus 24, we read, for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. So very like what we've just read in Matthew. And later on in Exodus 34, we read of Moses face being radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. And Moses took three people with him up the mountain. So another similarity, as Jesus chooses three disciples to accompany him on this occasion. And the three Jesus chose, Peter, James and John. These three were the first to be called to be disciples and they continued to accompany Jesus at key moments. The healing of Jairus's daughter in Mark 5. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John. Mark also records these three with Jesus later on in Gethsemane. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Some refer to these three as Jesus's inner circle, his most trusted and closest. And so it seems appropriate At these extreme moments of glory and pain, they are beside him. We go on to verse 2. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Here we see another echo of Moses with his face shining like the sun. The Greek word used here, translated, is the word that we get the word metamorphosis from, um, best explained in that well-known transformation from caterpillar to butterfly. Jesus was transfigured, transformed. But really, to translate it as transformed takes the change from something really holy to something attainable. It's maybe too simple a word. What happened on that mountain top was so much more than transformation. It was God showing them and us who Jesus is. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I think from Peter's later reference in his epistle to the event that we have just read, the disciples also were transformed. They may not have realised the significance of the event at the time, but we certainly see the effects of it on Peter in his later ministry. Verses 3 and 4. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This event just gets more and more mysterious. We see here Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. Moses received the law, the 10 commandments from God, and Elijah was a prophet. Jesus said he'd come not to replace the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. And these three disciples, Jewish in background, would have connected with what was occurring. Jesus was showing them something they would understand and in so doing, emphasizing that he'd come to fulfill and actually supersede the law and prophets of the Old Testament. A new thing was happening. One commentator put it, these were new players in the old, old story of God's encounters with God's people. And then Peter jumps into action. For me, his reaction really resonates. He's obviously out of his comfort zone, and we know already that Peter has a reputation for speaking before he thinks. Like us, he probably doesn't understand what's going on, and he's attempting to take control of what was probably a rather frightening experience. In his attempt to make sense of the magnificent transformation taking place before his eyes, Peter tries to speak words for the unspeakable. I really feel for Peter. It's that nervous gabbling without thinking. I suspect a few of us have done that before. Feeling slightly overwhelmed by a situation or an awkward silence. And we just dive in and talk randomly. Is it just me? Usually with hindsight, these are the best times to keep quiet. I actually had such an experience a few weeks ago, when you start something and you can't get out. We had the privilege of the Bishop of Derby visiting us at college. During her talk, she told us she was going to stay at Sandringham and would meet the queen and had bought a new dressing gown for the occasion. We had a time we could ask questions, and my colleagues asked some very deep and theological ones. I had a question, but I recognised it was one of those times to keep quiet. But as we were leaving, I was telling my colleague, as we walked out, not realising she was walking out behind us. (laughs) And of course, now I'd started, there was no turning back. My question was, not deeply theological, I wanted to know what sort of dressing gown she'd chosen to meet the Queen. She just looked at me, obviously completely thrown by my question, but I just kept going, telling her I'd have gone for something quite traditional with a high neck, full length, because you don't want the Queen seeing your pyjamas. She didn't know what to say. She simply replied, you see, the bedrooms aren't en suite. My colleague was struggling not to laugh out loud. I'd just dived in and I so should have kept quiet. Slightly overwhelmed and not sure what to say in that situation. I'd done a bit of a Peter, I think, as I reflect on it now. But it wasn't just about talking without thinking for Peter. You see, Peter was more a man of action than contemplation. Peter was trying to make sense of something, but he was doing it out loud. From the Hebrew scriptures, of which he would have been very familiar, the three shelters he was suggesting for these three holy people would have been for him like the tabernacle in the temple, which symbolized the presence of God. He was jumping to action with something he was familiar with. Peter was comfortable when trying to sort things out. But maybe we should recognise the importance of both action and contemplation, prayer, even if we are more comfortable with one than the other. Both are important, neither is effective without the other. We should expect prayer to change us, whether that be a change in our heart, or attitude, or a call to action. And no action should take place without a sure foundation in prayer. Both are important and each is less effective without the other. There's a time for action and there's a time for prayer. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us of that. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be quiet and a time to speak. I know here Peter was probably speaking out because he was out of his comfort zone. But there's another message I think in here for us. Peter's tendency for action over contemplation. I'm sure many of us like me have succumbed to speaking without thinking. And I'm sure many of us have considered ourselves too busy to stop and pause. It calls to mind the old saying, less haste, more speed. Sometimes we dive in and get on with it, when actually what we needed to do was stop and reflect and pray first. But in being so busy all the time, that can affect those around us as well. Sometimes we can feel like the busy person is trying to fit us in to their schedule, and that doesn't help you feel valued. It's a symptom of society. You're only important if you are busy. You'll only achieve if you're working 110% seven days a week. And that's not good for anyone. Maybe we are called to be the people of prayer, the people of peace within this hectic world. And I think that's emphasised by the next verse. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here's that heaven and earth moment. This is a key part of this scripture. While he was still speaking, God interrupts Peter because although he was trying to make sense of the situation, he was missing the point. These few words of God summarise the meaning of the transfiguration. This is my son whom I love. God again reveals Jesus as his son, an echo of God's words at Jesus' baptism. But here he says more, listen to him. God commanded the disciples to listen to Jesus and in so doing was commanding the early church and us as well. The disciples would have been struggling with their old ways observing the Old Testament laws and with the ways Jesus was showing them through how he led his life and what he was doing. Actually, that's not different from us. We face challenges from society with regard to what we believe and challenges in how we read scripture in light of our culture. But the answer here is simply listen to Jesus. That's a call to us too. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. A totally understandable reaction. God speaking from heaven. And these disciples had not heard God's voice before, as far as we are aware. They weren't present at Jesus's baptism when God spoke before. So understandably, they are terrified. I love the picture these verses paint of the care and gentleness of Jesus. He didn't just tell them everything was okay. He touched them. You can imagine that gentle touch on your arm when everything is just too much. He promises us that he will always be with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Whenever, whatever, if you turn to him, he will be there. Jesus continues saying, don't be afraid. It is said that there are 365 times in the Bible where we are told to neither fear nor worry nor be anxious. That's one for every day of the year. Listening to those around me in my life, it's certainly something people need to hear. But are they listening? Are they listening to him? When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, of course, the writer refers to the fact that Moses and Elijah are no longer seen, but the words say so much more. For us reading this today, as we look up for guidance, for support, for healing, for comfort, for learning, for full life in all its fullness, we only need to see Jesus a call to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And the final part of this passage, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. We hear Jesus say this a few times. Was it because he knew the disciples didn't fully understand what they'd seen? Or maybe he didn't want to draw attention to himself Quite yet, maybe why he'd chosen a secluded place with a select few. Maybe also he's building on his slow revealing of the cross, what is to lie ahead. The previous chapter finished with Jesus telling the disciples he must die and would rise on the third day. What an experience. What amazing things these three had seen. But how easily they forgot. Their courage would fail them at the cross. Peter would deny Jesus three times. All would desert him in fear. We forget too, when things get tough or even just tricky, when we're overwhelmed by our daily lives, sometimes the the loneliness or repetitiveness of our lives. We need to look and listen for God's glory in our daily lives. We forget those mountaintop moments when heaven and earth seem to meet, those thin places. Two words really stood out for me from this passage, mountain and listen. But it isn't just about the mountaintop experiences, it's also about the valley experiences or desert experiences. Those times when we felt so far from God, as if God isn't listening to us or even bothered with us. When we've prayed for something and God just doesn't seem to care because things don't seem to change. But as these verses today have shown us, continue to listen to him and to look for God's glory in your everyday because it is there We're just sometimes too distracted, too busy, too overwhelmed to hear him. As we enter Lent, maybe we could challenge ourselves to keep our eyes on Christ. As we look up, may we see no one except Jesus. And may we listen to him. Amen.